0: Empowerment is one of those words that sometimes means something and nothing, in a way, right? So you know, we, we you hear like uh, when we're talking within an agile sort of environment, etc. You know, we, we use the word empowering teams and empowering people, you know, all the time. And sometimes, you know, it can feel a little bit empty because it's like, well, what does that mean? You know how 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 do I emp- how do I empower? people, you know, I'm in a 5,000, 10,000 people organization, you know, do I have to empower everybody? How do I do
1: that? Hello, and welcome to DevOps Delivering software quickly, reliably and safely is at the heart of technology transformation and organizational performance. But what are the essential characteristics of high performing software organizations that set them apart from the rest? This is what Lande Kostberg and Mark Dillon from Efficode addressed in one of our recent webinars with Atlassian. Lande and Mark examined how organizations are able to scale their business and how they can drive growth in new and ambiguous situations. Lande Kostberg is a country director of Efficode in Norway and runs the agile transformation practice at Efficode. Mark Dillon is a lead consultant in Efficode in Finland. He's interested in how people work together to build products. Let's listen to Lande and Mark talking about the characteristics of high-performing software organisations.
0: So let's get into sort of the, the, the nitty-gritty, really, of, uh, of the topic of the conversation today, which is like high-performance uh, organisations. I mean, essentially, you know, what we see in, in the work that we do as consultants is pretty much summarized in some, in, in, in this slide, you know, so what we see high performance organizations doing today is, you know, they're able to exceed their own goals. They have satisfied employees. I mean, they're up there in terms of, you know, customer satisfaction and, you know, pretty much cornering cornering the market within their specific area. Um, And this is, you know, this, this is, not sort of, uh, how do you say this, uh, proprietary information. You know, this, is, this comes from the Accelerate book, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with. But, um, you know, I, I'd like to hear, Mark, you know, what, what do you think about this? You know, we've seen this sort of level <laughs> of high performance in different organizations, but what's your take on that? You
2: know, I, I think one of the great things, um, like the, the research that was done in Accelerate, we're going to refer to a couple of times here, is that, um, we're setting a standard for tools and processes that um, high-performance organizations are using. Very similar tool sets are using very similar practices, and their abilities, as you can see here, is they are outperforming others. And I think it's it's even really even most important here in this on this right side, uh, two times two. Are 2.2 times more likely for their employees to have a positive net promoter score for them to tell their friends, hey, we want to come. It's a developer's market. So it's it's really, really important to be able to attract top talent and retain them and high-performance organizations with good tool sets like we get from Atlassian is a big part of that. But what I'd really like to know now um, is what do you guys see? So we have, we have a question for you. So you can open the Q&A. And we have um, really important questions. So we'd like to ask, what do you think are the main characteristics, the most important characteristics of high performance in a software organization? I'll give you a moment. We've got a few coming up. Oh, I'm seeing some of my favorites already. So um, we've got uh, a couple of interesting ones here already. So. The number one, um, uh, closest to my heart, psychological safety. Nice. I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, I don't know if you know this. Uh, that's actually, those words were at the top of the uh, DevOps report for 2021 that Effie that Code published at the beginning of the year, and those two words brought me to this company. Mm. So that's, I'm really glad that that was brought up. Um, we've also got uh, clear goals.
0: Nice.
2: Flexibility, yeah. autonomous teams, c- contextual leadership, nice, clear communication, and oh, another really, really fantastic one: short feedback loops. So I have to tell you, I think that you're you're all pretty much uh, on point, and I think we're going to talk about a lot of these things uh, today. And we also got agility, trust, and cooperation. So. Lean product management, experimentation, uh, understanding the ways that products and services are developed to make end users' lives better.
0: I mean, we're just walking into open doors now, aren't we, Mark? Here, you know, oh, it's, almost- it's great, but we're <laughs>
2: all on point, all on point. And so, Lande, what do you think is the, the main characteristic of high performance in a software I mean, organization? You know,
0: I, I agree with everything. I mean, I agree with the. Um, with everyone, you know, and, and, and how they describe it. I, I do like the psychological safety. Um, I, I term it differently because I, I feel sometimes, you know, that word in psychological safety can, can sort of rub some people up the wrong way, but I totally get the point. I think that's key. But for me, the thing that rings true, the, the, the two things I always come back to is just like people, people. And then the, the second thing, because I said people twice, is actually focus, organizational focus. And I think someone else mentioned that which is the ability to be able to, for an organization to hone in on what they're trying to achieve, you know, without any of the wishy-washy language, but, you know, said in a way that everyone in there knows what we're trying to achieve. And then we focus, we have this sort of like, kind of like a laser focus on what we want to try and achieve. And the only way you can do that is with the people that you have. So it's all about people. So those those are my two key things that I'm quite sort of like um, passionate about, shall we say. Okay, Great. so that was good. I uh, that was quite nice. I enjoyed that. So then we move, you know, moving on. Um, this is what we were thinking. So you know, when Mark and I were talking about this, and so we put down, okay, what would we say? You know, high performance organizations, you know, do or, or or what they're like. You know, these sort of like four things kind of like stood out a little bit. The first one, you know, the you know the ability to operate at a high standard at a high speed, and I think you know that's. That's quite important because this is like setting the scene, right? We're setting the context. You know, what do we mean throughout the rest of this presentation when we start talking about high performance, right? There's also a dictionary uh, uh, definition as well. And then the other one that I quite like as well is, right, having a better financial and non-financial results than those of your peers over a period of time. So that's quite key. So the ability to consistently deliver at a high standard and at high speed better than your peers. That, works, you know, that is what makes you high-performing.
2: Mark? Yeah. And then uh, celebrating failures. Um, this is something that, you know, on the, on the extreme end of the scale, you've got the shoot the messenger kind of culture mm-hmm. that forces people to, to hide information and they, it forces people to, to change information to, to try to uh, kind of dismiss the failures. Um, there's, there's a quick story, like the, the guy that made the mistake in the laboratory and he spilled the rubber on the on the heating stove um, and it turned hard and his name was Goodyear. It's like, you know, <laughs> you, you never know what's going to happen from having a culture that embraces and celebrates that, the failures. And, and by the way, the other extreme from shooting the messenger is training the messenger. So training the people on how to bring the information, even if it's even if it's not the, uh, the most flattering information at the time, allowing people to be vulnerable when they bring information instead of feeling shame about it. But this, uh,
0: yeah, this,
2: yeah, and this really cool thing that uh, that leads to the. Uh, the, the bottom right here is we used to say good, fast, and cheap, and you only get to pick two. But um, high-performance software organizations today are getting all three. They're getting high availability, high reliability, and high speed at the same time. And a lot of this comes down to, um, of course, it is focus on people, um, focus on the business. But it's also, you know, if you don't have the basic tools and processes in, in place, then it's going to be a lot harder to get there as well.
0: Absolutely. And I just want to circle back quickly to the celebrate failures, because I have this thing, you know, I think sometimes, you know, when you hear this, it sounds, for me, it sounds a little bit of an oxymoron in a way, right? And, and just to sort of bring it down to earth, it's, you know, it's not really about popping a bottle of champagne right, and go, we you know, we didn't, do, we didn't do what we set out to do or anything like that, you know, but it's really sort of like, you know, making sure we create that culture, like, you know, you make a mistake and you learn from it. So that's yes. the key. Right. And I think sometimes when we talk about we should celebrate failure, we miss that important part. You know, we we celebrate it because we learn from it. If you don't learn from it, then the celebrate failure as a term in itself sort of, yeah, falls flat, doesn't it? So, uh, yeah. Okay, so then we move on to some of the key characteristics. So we've got a couple of sort of like, you know, areas. So we've, we've, said, a, we've said a bit, you know, in terms of like behaviors of, of uh, high performance, you know, software organizations, et cetera. And we want to sort of like hone down and drill down a little bit into, into some of the practices, you know, um, that make an organization high performing, but not just sort of, we'll talk about the practices, but also we'll give you a little bit of how, you know, we can do this. And also, you know, why it's difficult, because it ain't easy. If it, if it was easy, we wouldn't be doing this uh, webinar in the first place. So looking at some lead management practices. So we we together, I think we decided, OK, let's focus on this. Risk. You know, there's there's quite a few others as well. But, you know, talking about, you know, limiting work in progress, uh, simplifying change approvals, visualization of work. I'm sure these are all terms and phrases and things that some of us, you know, some people on the call like practice and they're really familiar with. But let's sort of, you know, lift this up now into a bit of a more business type context. You know, when we talk about limiting work in, pro- in progress, you know, what comes to mind for me you know, I think to myself, well, why? Why am I limiting work in progress, right? And I think to myself, you know, as humans, to be perfectly honest with you, I know we think we can multitask, but quite often we're not terribly good at it, right? So limiting working progress helps, helps us to be realistic about our expectations, right? What can we reasonably achieve, right, within specific timeframe? And I think it also helps us to drive focus, Helps to improve the flow of work. And I think it increases speed. So these are some of the things I think about, you know, when I'm talking about, you know, limit work in progress. I, and I know, you know, we, we've also done it, right? We've got that Kanban board there, basically. <laughs> and, and that's the picture we all have. We all have like our JIRA board and we have the in progress, we put a whip limit and then boom, there we go. We're limiting work in uh, progress. But I think, you know, there's a heck of a lot more to it than that, isn't there, Mark?
2: Yeah, yeah, there sure is. Um, there, there, was a, there was a story that I was going to tell, which is that um, I was coaching in a startup center uh, here in Finland, Usiteras in Tampere. And they, each of the, the startups, they had their little room and they had their, their stickies on the wall and they had their ideas and all of their energy and their bright eyes. And I walked into one of the rooms and they had this, this Kanban board and sign at the top. And then, and then I kind of looked around and I was like, is the whole team here? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, so five people. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, well, you've you've got like 10 items in, in the work in progress area. That's not a Kanban board. What are you you're not doing Kanban here. And, you know, we talked a little bit and I, I came back a little later to check on them and they had fixed it. They took the word Kanban off the board. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and smart. I was like, OK, all right, guys. <laughs> So then they, they quickly, they came back and they put the Kanban back and they moved um, a couple of the tickets to stuck and they moved a couple of the tickets to dot. Aha! Yeah. Okay, one of the reasons that we limit work in progress is because when somebody gets stuck, let's rally around it. Let's, let's, let's help them, let's do everything we can to get that work unstuck so they can move through the chain and generate value. That's and that's a really, like if you're not, if you're doing Kanban, that's what it means. That's why it's there like that. But the, um, uh, another thing about work in progress is that, and this, this actually kind of leads into this, this change approvals, which is that if, if a team is looking at a backlog that they feel they're never going to complete in their lifetime, if they're looking at, uh, you know, if they're having difficulty achieving their sprints, and, you know, obviously you should, you should reduce the, the, the planned work going into a spread, but you should also have a look, you know, is the backlog so big that they don't feel like they're ever going to get a feeling of completion of things? So that's another reason that limiting uh, not just work in progress, but limiting the inflow of work can also, it creates more psychological safety, creates a better feeling that, hey, you know, we can do this, guys
0: it's it's it, i i totally i mean I, i'm totally with you it can be overwhelming can't it you yes. know in terms of like where do we even start you know yes so so yeah no i think i think i, I love the story about the and i'm going to use that actually let's just remove the word and then the story you know <laughs> but i think i think i think you know i think it's good to lift lift these phrases you know because i think sometimes they're they're, they're too often associated with like you know low level tasks if you think about it from an organizational perspective you know this is you know that that's the focus i was talking about earlier on you know the less you have to focus on the more uh, probability that you're able to achieve uh, the success that you're looking for so then let's so then we move on to simplify change change approvals and um I'm going to ask Mark not to start frothing at the mouth now with this because what, <laughs> we're, really, what we're really talking about now is like change approval boards, you know. And I, I have a theory. So I used to be in information security. And my theory is this, you know, when you had in, in, in typically large corporate organizations, you know, you typically have uh, a separate department, shall we say, right? That is responsible for technical change approvals, you know. And their job is to make sure, Well, actually, let me rephrase it. They're incentivized differently. So there's the people who are making the changes. They have one incentive. And then they have the people that are making sure you don't mess with the production environment. And they incentivize differently. Their incentive is they get a pat on the back if they stop something going into production that they believe, or based on their fact sheets or whatever, will potentially take down the production environment. And then they're sitting there in opposition, shall we say, to somebody else, a developer who's incentivized to get a change into production as soon as possible so we can start earning you know, value. And they're both working for the same organization. So tell me, how, how does that enable these two teams to walk in the same direction or focus on the same goal? What do you say to that, Mark? i
2: say say there's, there's so many... Uh, legacy pathologies there um, and and one of the things about high performance they still exist, organic, you know yeah I know I know you know one of the things I just want to point out a few times here for you today is that you know the that's legacy pathologies so new companies that are using state-of-the-art tools and practices from the beginning they start building the test automation and the tool chain mm-hmm. such that there is there is access from the developer, to production, either by making a commit at the highest end of things, or by the developers directly maintaining production, like you have in, you know, all the social media companies, for example. Mm. And th- this kind of thing, it's it's also moving into other types of companies that have different even certification kinds of levels of things. But you know, one of the things that also here um, that this pathology describes is, I don't want the developers to be working on something unless it is exactly what we want to add value. So why would I want to stop that at the last minute? The developer has already done the work. Why would I want to stop that before it gets to production? I want to enable it to get to production and I want to move the complexity left to the earliest part of the process where we focus on delivering the right stuff. And that's another thing, limiting the work in progress allows Mm. us to understand what are we really focusing on? And this little bit of stuff is the right stuff. And we want to get it through production as quickly as we can with good quality, which means good tool chain, good visibility, good test automation. And ultimately, you know, there's no, uh, none of these official quality gates should be required from the point that we decide to do a piece of work.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I do agree, but then what would you say to like, you know, heavily regulated, you know, industries, you know, because I think mm-hmm. from my, from my background, you know, one of the things that was quite key was sort of like, you know, um, working in a financial institution and, you know, implementing the four eyes principle. You know, this is something that is, is quite key. I mean, four eyes doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be an external, you know, set of eyes, for example, right? It just means that you need potentially like a peer review, et cetera. But you know, these kinds of organizations—they do really struggle with it because mm-hmm. the regulatory, you know, regulatory rules that they have to comply with—you know—they're not necessarily yep. moving with the times.
2: No, no. And by the way, four eyes is any two people can decide something together. So exactly. It's not, it's not just <laughs> if we have glasses or not. But um, you know, there, there, there's still this this term called quality gate. And let's 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 take an example that there is there's software that's certified and in production. So, how do we then, uh, the term is bake in compliance. So, if we're, if we have something that, that requires uh, certification and is in production, then at the very beginning in JIRA, then we, we make it clear that um, this change is for software that requires certification and we try to take care of the approval there. And then mm-hmm. we, we, we trace that ticket through the system to make sure that, okay, this is something that does require certification. So there's a certain kind of ticket that's coming that's going to potentially have a quality gate And then what we want to do is because what a company will say is, no, we have such rigorous certification practices that we can't possibly have automation. I'm sorry but you can so what you can do is you can automate to make sure that you have all of the approvals before it gets to the developer and when it gets through the test automation you make sure that you have all of the quality information that's necessary you have who requested the change who approved the change who did it what are the test results what is the software release you know this end-to-end kind of configuration management items and then if that results in a ticket for the certification responsible person to approve it has all of the information required for them to do that approval. And when they review this information or do whatever is necessary, they, they move the ticket to done and then whoom, the automation takes it and puts it into production. That's baking mm. in compliance. So we try to do as much as we can at the beginning before it hits the developer. And then we try to have a pipeline that allows the developer to do the work and efficiently get it to production.
0: Excellent. Automation. Sounds good. good. And then and then let's talk, let's talk a little bit about the uh visualization um of work. Uh this is uh I love this, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think in, in not past lives, but very recent past lives, you know, this has been the bane of my of my life because you you know it's it's trying to get trying to get every level within the organization to understand why we're doing what we're doing, but also to have it visible, you know. I mean we talk about I, I work for an organisation, for example. You know, you have like you have this like high level strategy that we want, which is presented to you, and it could be something <laughs> like we're going to be the most socially responsible organisation. I mean, I I can think of a phrase I don't want to use it because if I use it, you'll know the company I'm talking about, right? But you have something so high, you know, we're going to be socially responsible, you know. And I'm a I'm a sort of like a systems analyst or whatever. And my job is, you know, I I'm responsible for. The supply chain module within SAP—that's my job, right? And I'm sitting there looking at this. You want to be socially responsible? Strategy—that's nice. How does that affect me on a day-to-day basis? You know, how detached do I then feel? You know, from from the high the the, the, the high-level goals of of the organization, and that's something that I, I I see. I think that a lot of organizations, you know, sort of struggle with. You know, when we talk about making what visible, because we're not just really saying, okay, the work that you're doing in your team, what are your tasks and make sure everyone can see them. You know, we're really actually talking about connecting all the dots so that you can see the end to end. What do you think, Mark?
2: Um, I look at this, uh, so like I can take a customer service uh, perspective and like if we're, if we're using, um, if we're using uh, Jira for our call center, and then um, we have a dashboard that shows that, um, We have a dashboard that shows that the call center is getting an abnormal amount of traffic today and that Mm. customers are customers could very likely be backing up then. Um, I can use the tools, use the dashboards to see that there seems to be some kind of incident going on. And then I try to drill down and understand, okay. Is there something that um, we could handle in by making a quick change to our website or a quick change to our application? Or is there an error that is causing people to call in or is there a missing feature or something Mm. like that? So the the visualization starts at whatever the customer interface feedback loops uh, start with. And then I need to be able to visualize if we've limited work in progress and we have simple change approvals, um, and I have the ability to see what my teams are working on, if I do see that I have an opportunity that I've, I've visualized through one of the tools to make a change, I can weigh that against whatever the current plans are and then decide if I want to interrupt some work to update the website to allow a feature to, to be there that could slow down the call center traffic by letting them use the online services, things like this. So then how this ties into you know, an, an SAP person doing, doing work on supply chain um, if there are uh, supply chain issues and something is, is not uh, there's, a, there's a component that, that's not available, or there is a you know, software component or a hardware component that, that has some kinds of, of challenges, then I want to be able to see quickly that something abnormal is happening in that department, and then I want to be able to cross check with other departments that can support it and see what would the cost of a change be, to if we're now going to have to deal with a different processor or, or architecture or component or or something like that, so mm. you know, by having these simple configuration management interfaces that go end to end, oftentimes we can we can see where a problem is. We can decide if we want using real time live data if we want to make a change in order to to you know help our customers get through whatever issues at at hand.
0: I think I think I think that's uh, that's an excellent and interesting point because I think. You know what, you allude, what you're alluding to for me is really that sort of you know making that information also relevant, right? Mm-hmm. So it needs to yes. be of a certain quality and of a and of and of a certain level that allows you to actual, to, yeah, allows you to be able to make business decisions, right? Yes. You know, it needs to make sense, doesn't yes. it? You know, but then, I mean, for me, it's 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 quite a tough one to implement because you know you are talking about a whole mm-hmm. set of tools, you know, where we're trying to make sense, you know, of the, um, of the information, trying to turn it from data into information. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, from, from my perspective, I think, you know, it's time for another poll, right? Yes. It's, time, it's time for audience interaction. Um, because Landy thinks that this is something that's quite difficult, that's not true. But we do, we, we've seen that this is something that a lot of organizations uh, struggle with you know, we'd like to sort of put up a poll, um, which is sort of ask the audience, you know, what problems do you face
1: uh, in your organizations with making work visible? If you are in the middle of DevOps transformation, or if you are considering launching a DevOps initiative, we have a webinar recording available for you. In this webinar, we discuss how key metrics can help you better understand the progress of your DevOps transformation and how to use them to shape the right behaviors within your organization. We start from why key measures are such an important part of any DevOps transformation journey. Then we dive into which specific metrics are most beneficial. You can find the link to the recording in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the show. Look at that. Yeah. I love this.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. The leader silo teams and information. Yes. What do you think? Is that in line with what you're thinking, Mark?
2: <laughs> this is one of the biggest ones that uh that I have helped many times to try to, to work through. And it it depends on organization culture, it depends on having information and um you know, the, there was one of the questions that came up that I'll, I'll kind of stick here to. So, you know, visibility is being able to see um, where the the value is flowing in your organization and the work is oftentimes creating that value or supporting the creation of the value. But, but yeah, this is, uh, this is right in line with, with what I, what I see as well.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and, and and I sort of, I mean, this is going to segue into, into the next slide. I, I, you know, I know this, but I can't resist it because I am so glad that this is the number one thing because, you know, in, in my experience, you know, what has been so difficult is just like, it's, it's not, you know, you have silo teams, everyone has their own way of working. We all have a certain level of autonomy. We all have, you know, I call it a spade, you call it a digging implement, you know, by the time we try and put it together, you know, it's really difficult to make sense of it. So, um, yeah. I mean, everything, everything is an issue really, when it comes to visibility, all of these things are, are correct. Cool. All right. So then, Yeah. So moving on to the, let's talk about people and culture. So this is another, so we, we, we've looked at two sets of things, right? So sort of like two big buckets, you know, we, we, we spent some time now just talking about lean management practices where we focused in on on three three of the key lean management practices, you know, making work visible, um, limiting work in progress, and simplified uh, change approval uh, processes. So that was just kind of like one bucket. So this is the second bucket now that we think are really quite key, um, is quite key for for um high performing uh, software organizations, which is looking at the people and the culture, you know, that are needed, shall we say? to be able to implement or work with lean management processes and practices, et cetera. So I think you can't necessarily, you can't have one without the order without the other, sorry, shall I say? Um, so when we look at the different aspects here, we're talking about empowerment. We talk about learning opportunities, understanding the mission and communication style. And, I'll just pick on empowerment. I mean, we'll go through each of them, but empowerment is something that, you know, sort of stands out a little bit for me because empowerment is one of those words that sometimes means something and nothing in a way, right? So, you know, we, we, you hear like uh, when we're talking within an agile sort of environment, et cetera, you know, we, we use the word empowering teams and empowering people, you know, all the time, and sometimes you know it can feel a little bit empty because it's like, well, what does that mean? You know, how 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 do I emp- how do I empower people? You know, I mean, a 10,000 people organization. You know, do I have to empower everybody? How do I do that,
2: Mark? <laughs> <laughs> well, simple simple question. I'll give you, I'll give you as simple of an answer as I can. Um, Absolutely and this, this goes for for life. So uh, one thing is clear boundaries. Uh, we can call them constraints. Uh, there's a book called Management 3.0 that talks about minimal constraints. There's also, uh, we use a term in, in code uh, called uh, guardrails. And one of the, the simple things is that, um, like I do this with tools all of the time. So I use the tools in order to empower the people to work within within a a certain set of guardrails or certain set of constraints. So empowerment can be allowing a developer to take whatever work they wish from a prioritized list, perform the work and deliver it to production. And this means that they may have to contribute uh, the, uh, the quality tests, unit tests Are there other test automation as their system or synth- synthetic testing or, or load testing or any other kind of tests that they need to take into account. Um, you know, many um, of the biggest online services in the world are doing this kind of thing. The developers have, you know, all the Facebooks and Twitters and all this kind of stuff. The, the developers have access to production yeah. and they work within constraints. and. You know, the allowing the people also. uh, So one of the few things that you can do with with culture uh, to try to affect the culture of an organization, you know, many say that culture is an emergent property, but um, we, we can use feedback to empower people. And many companies get this wrong because they 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 try they do the surveys, they ask the questions, and then they 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 try to get feedback from the employees, and then they say, "Okay, we will now take this to the management team and we will decide what the the important ones are and we will then create an action plan, and we will then have this approved by the board of directors and then you know next quarter we will take your feedback and we will begin to improve and it's like no, so you empower employees by asking them by gathering feedback and acting on it quickly. And then this creates what's called a feedback loop that then allows you to constantly try to get feedback from inside the house. And even you, of course, you do this with your customers and then steer, Mm. show that you care, um, take the feedback and act upon it as quickly as you can and use this in order to build trust in the organization, steer the organization, steer the culture. I, I mean,
0: cool yes i I agree with most of what you said there um <laughs> no I, I do i do i do yeah. I think you know but i think I think of course again i'll I'll say I'll make that phrase again if it was easy, we'd all be doing it right, and yeah. we wouldn't have to distinguish between high performance and low performance you know but i think I think the thing that I liked you know you mentioned and 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 which is quite key is is the guardrails so it's it's within the context, it's within the yes. context of the organization, so I think you know teams need to understand the organization needs to understand what the guardrails are, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that in itself is empowering, right? Because then you don't, you don't actually have to keep asking for permission, you know, but the thing that I found the most difficult one is the feedback loops. You know, I I keep coming back to, you know, I'm in in an organization with 10,000 people or 5,000 people, you know, fast feedback. I, I struggle with that, with those two words put together in the context of that organization, but, We could talk about that for quite some time, but in the interest of time, I will move on to to the next one. Uh, Learning opportunities. I mean, this is quite key, right? So this is where we're talking about making sure that within the organization, in order to increase that NPS score we talked about, right? So this is the, I want to work here and I want to work here because I get to learn. I get to do new things. You know, I have an environment that is sort of nurturing enough for me to get better. at at what I do and I can contribute. So this is what we mean when we talk about, you know, learning opportunities. You know, that that's quite key. Not not just going to courses, but the ability to sort of like put what you learn into practice. And then we move on to understanding the mission. And I think this sort of speaks a little bit to the example I gave, you know, with the poor SAP guy down here and this, you know, highfalutin sort of like strategy. It's like, you know, we all need to understand where it is we're going, you know and what we want to be able to do. Um, and then finally, we talk about communication style. Now, this is, for people who know me, you know, this is, this is, this is something that I, I, I think is difficult, and I find a little bit difficult, because I think, you know, your communication style is it's kind of difficult to have that devoid from your personality. Now put it into an organizational context, you know, and you think about, what are the potential consequences of communication styles? You know, what does it actually do to an organization when you have the wrong communication style? Mark, I'm yeah, going to this, throw this one at you.
2: Yeah, the, um, it's it's a skill that can be developed. Um, yeah. You know, th- this is one thing that many people don't uh, understand. It's like if you if you look um, at every situation as in how am I going to get the best out of this person. And what communication tools can I use to get the best out of a person in a situation? And there's so many learning opportunities. I'll tie it back to, to this one. Um, you know, in you know, how many people, how many of you have have, have gone to a, a course on conflict resolution? And you know, there's so many tools that you can have in your tool belt and so many things that you can learn. Um, in order to to be able a more effective communicator in a corporate environment, so training the messenger is a is a huge thing. Um, I picked the coach guy for this slide because yeah. you know you know I I think that uh, like when I'm working with people and I have a a, a strong opinion, the stronger the better about something, then the more I try to ask questions to understand somebody else's instead, because if I just tell them, I kind of get them to double down on whatever their position is. So I've had to develop this skill over time to ask instead of telling, you know, as much as I can to try to get the best out of the person. And maybe I'll find, maybe I'll learn something I I had no idea about. But, you know, this is something that if, you, if you're not getting it within an organization, you can, you can try to work within that organization. And you can also understand that perhaps there are other places that have a communication style that suits you better as well. But building it within the company is something that you can train, you can develop, you can skill. And a lot of it still comes back to what I said about empowerment, which is communication is about getting feedback. And honoring that feedback by taking it into use quickly.
0: I think I think I think that's yeah, that's an excellent point actually. And I think, you know, we have this um, one of the things we talked about you, you know earlier before we started the session was really sort of, you know, that that constant I, I see it as this constant ongoing dialogue between business and IT, right? In the majority of organizations. So where we haven't quite got to the point where you know, IT is business and business is IT and we're still sort of like separating ourselves. You know, I think, I think that communication, I, I mean, we could do a lot there. You know, I, I have this, I have a fundamental belief, you know, that you have two sides that are speaking completely different language, but they're talking about the same thing and they don't understand each other, right? But using different <laughs> languages. So yeah, totally with you in terms of, we almost need coaching in how to be able to, communicate in a manner that helps us to collaborate towards a common goal. Yes. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. I'll say say one other thing about the the mission. There's a, um, uh, another true story. Um, although I've, I've often said this like it's a joke because it's so, it's so humorous that, um, somebody told me that they, they brought together their management team and, uh, they worked on a strategy and, um, they 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 had workshop for, for, for days and everybody everybody was really committed and, and re- really contributing, and then um, they 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 approved the strategy and, and they're like all right cool so now you know let's go get everybody on board okay yeah. and then they 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 they, uh, they they brought everybody together and they they communicated the strategy, and then um, the uh, person I was talking to they said you know but it's like it's like the rest of the teams they never really understood. And you know, we we could never really get them to commit, but we, we really believed in it. And it's like, you know, did you ask them to contribute to the strategy? And then it's like, oh, are you serious? You know, and it's like you 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 gave me the answer when you when you told me how you created the strategy. It's like the people that that contribute were committed and understood. So you know, there and yeah, you've got ten thousand people. So you you knew it's, I it's, was going
0: to say that, didn't you? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah,
2: I, I know. So. So, so how do you do that? And it's like you you have to you have to really figure out how to get the feedback loops down into the organization, rise okay. the things to the top and and really honor it. Because like I like I I said it was a half joke about communication. I'm gonna remind you, it's a developer's market. So the developers are gonna to go to the high performing organizations. And many yeah. of these things are so well understood that you know we know what they are.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we've got a lot of catching up to do. So I'm going to move on now to the next slide. So I think we have, we don't have that much uh, time left, but I think this is a a good slide that's sort of, you know, worth um, explaining a little bit because it's really just emphasizing, yes, you know, Mark and I are having a chat here. You know, these aren't pearls of wisdom from Landy and Mark, right? This is sort of like known fact. This is information that is out there. That is available and there's research you know supporting all of the stuff that we've been talking about yeah. so mark i don't know if you wanted to say anything yeah. you know additional on this i'll
2: uh there's, there's there's another story that uh this one is not my story <laughs> but i picked up recently but i'll tell it quickly and, and you I have kind of a alluded... lot of stories mark yeah i know i know, <laughs> like, you okay. know I, I alluded to it before but i'll i'll just i'll just kind of repeat it really quickly which is you know when you have state-of-the-art tools and process in place and you have reasonable visibility. And, uh, you know, the Atlassian tool chain is a a very good one for that. Um, Then you have the ability to get from the the value into the developer, into the customer's hands very, very quickly. So if you think it's 440 times faster lead time from developer to deployment, that means today. It's called zero day delivery an awful lot of the time. It's not your next monthly release or your next quarterly release. Then if you screw it up, you also have the ability to have faster recovery from downtime, 170 times faster according to this you know, pretty well-known research, which means that sometimes mistakes happen and we recover from them quickly. But we have five times lower failure rate with these changes, even though they're 440 times faster. And you know, this is, none of this is uh, conjecture, None of this is rocket science this is using state-of-the-art tools and practices today yeah. to be able to deliver value quickly to your customers and you know there's there's a lot of companies that have been in software for 30 years and we dreamed about a lot of the things that now are standard and commonplace
0: so. and, and, and we're talking about this now and this research was done three years ago right and yeah. probably took about a year you know yeah. to pull together as well so you know here we are three four years later you know? Yeah.
2: We're just starting to solve some of the mythical man month problems that were written in the sixties.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So just in conclusion, you know, so if, if there's one thing I would want, you know, people to take away from this, at least, you know, for me, where I keep coming back to again and again, and I love tools and I, and I love experimenting with different things, but every time, I come back to the people aspects right you know people work for people yes you're in an organization but you know it's like you know when they say like you don't leave you, you don't leave a, a a bad job you leave a bad boss sort of stuff right you know mm-hmm. it's it's kind of that sort of phraseology here that I'm 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 focusing on you know so people work for people you know the best tools or processes is not a guarantee for high performance yeah unless everything that we have just said now doesn't mean anything if you don't know your customer, <laughs> you know. So it's 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 important to emphasize this. It's, it's it needs to be taken for granted that your priority is understanding who your customer is, listening, you know, to what they have to say, what they need, anticipating, being anticipatory, right? You know, being a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of trying to anticipate, you know, what they need. And then we talked about, and I think you know, Mark, you've alluded to this quite a few times now. You know, moving towards a more generative. Um, organizational culture. So this is pretty much, you know, taking from the Westrum's um, organizational culture's um, definitions where you have pathological, bureaucratic, and generative. And all we're really saying with generative here is like, you know, more more sort of like collaborative learning. I think you said train the me- uh, me- train the messenger. Yes. You know, all those all those positive things that we've been talking about that high performance organizations do we need to be able to move towards that sort of um, towards that type of culture within our organizations. And then the last two, I mean, using the information you have to get better. You know, I love this, right? You, You know, if the data tells you that it ain't working, it ain't working. Don't try and fudge the results and slant it so that your department or the stuff that you're doing doesn't come out looking so bad. You know, that was the whole point, you know, so let's take the data for what it is and implement the necessary changes, right? And then we have the last one using best practices and state-of-the-art, using state-of-the-art tools. Not every organization is a special case, okay? Um, There's a lot of information. There's a lot of, you know, best practices, known practices, good practices, whichever way you want to term practices. There's a lot of of state-of-the-art tools out there that you can use and adapt. To your organization, yeah. There are very few special cases out there. There are some, but most aren't. So I think there's a, there's actually a lot of material information out there to support, as well as our own very own, uh, our very own ethical consultancy services there to support you throughout these types of um, transitions.
2: Is there anything else that comes to mind?
1: No. No.
2: Okay. Thank you, Lande. And thank you for all of our participants.
1: Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening. You can find links to the social media profiles of Lande and Mark in the show notes, alongside some related materials that I believe could be of interest to you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on your platform. It means the world to us. Also, check out our other episodes for interesting and exciting talks. Before I let you go, I give floor back to Lunde and let her introduce Efficode and our relationship with Atlassian. All I say now is take care of yourself and remember to simplify the change approvals. Just to say
0: a little bit about um, Efficode, our organization and what we're about. We're a consultancy uh, company primarily uh, based in, in Northern Europe, um, but with recent acquisitions in Switzerland so we're, we're, yeah, we are in over seven countries, I think, now. We've been around for quite some time, over 15 years. We have 400-plus awesome consultants, professionals, both within Atlassian and DevOps, and um, yeah, we're, we're, we're really doing quite well and we're very happy. <laughs> we're very happy about it. You know, our, our core expertise is in, is in the DevOps consultancy as well as the Atlassian products. And we also have our own Epicode DevOps platform as well, uh, which we use with a lot of our key customers. One of the main things as well, as I mentioned earlier on is we are, you know, uh, an Atlassian platinum partner in a number of countries in Finland, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Netherlands, and Germany. We've been working with Atlassian since 2008, um, so quite got quite a long relationship with them, I would say. And over the last four years, uh, we've won quite a number of awards, awards uh, from Atlassian, from uh, DevOps competency, services, uh, service management, etc. We have approximately, yeah, about more than 600 customers um, across all the Atlassian services that we provide services to. Um, We have a main hub in Sweden and then uh, a recent acquisition in Switzerland. So yeah, we, we do know a fair bit about it.